the week. Just lift up your hands for a moment. God, this morning we receive from you. Father, we need to receive from you this morning your grace, your mercy. Father, your strength. God, I, we receive this morning a vision, your vision for our days, for our future. God, we cast aside our own preconceived notions and ideas. God, we want to open ourselves up to the things that you have for us. God, this day and in the days to come. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, God. Pour out your Spirit, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. Freshness. Fresh, God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We regularly need a a touch from the Lord. Amen. You know, I'm very glad I live in God's reality and not my own. You know, my reality looks bleak at times. You know, we, we live in a different place. We're spiritual beings, the Bible says, and so we get to live according to the things that God has for us. Our problem is that we don't always understand them. We don't always see them. We don't hear from God enough to know what He has for us. And so we go on continuing to live in our own circumstances, under our, under our own visions. That's something we need to do more and more. Just, God, show me what You have for me. Help me to be at peace in what You have for me. Hallelujah. That's just a freebie this morning. It's not part of the message at all. We are making our way through the book of Hebrews. A couple of weeks ago, we, I shared on growing up, not being immature, but growing into maturity. That was in chapter 6. As I was preparing, and past, Pastor Jeff last week, Hebrews 4.12 went back, and, and as I was preparing, I, I assumed that over the last two weeks you probably have all read the whole book of Leviticus, because we talked about that a couple weeks ago, and studied it in depth, so we could get an understanding of the book of Hebrews. <laughs> as, we were go, as I was preparing this morning, or for this morning, you know, I, I read, you know, Hebrews seven, and and we're going to make a lot of progress. A few months ago, Pastor Jeff really did a great job talking about Melchizedek and who Melchizedek was, and Jesus just to catch us up to lay a foundation for this morning. We're going to be in chapter eight this morning, but Melchizedek was a king priest who lived in the time of Abram, and we don't know much about him, very, very, very little. He was a type of Christ. He was an anti-type of Christ. That means he showed a picture of, of the life that Christ would be and live for us. He was not Christ himself. But he was an anti-type. And, and because they gave him no lineage, no lineage was important to Melchizedek, not because he didn't have a father and a mother, 
But because the, the point of Melchizedek was that he didn't come, he wasn't a descended priest. He wasn't a descended king. He was a king and a priest in his own right. And so Jesus then in the New Testament, as Jesus comes, he becomes a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, after the time of Melchizedek and Abram, we go into the times in Leviticus where the Aaronic priesthood rose up and Aaron was the brother of Moses and God chose to to have all of Aaron's descendants, only Aaron's descendants, be the high priest. And so for the Jews, they always look to anybody in the in the priest in the lineage of Aaron to become the high priest for the temple, for the sacrifices. And for thousands of years, that's what they were looking to is the priesthood of Aaron. Well, when Jesus came on the line, on the scene, he didn't come from the line of Aaron. He came from the line of Judah. So he broke the mold. And so in chapter 7, we learn about Melchizedek and Jesus, again, being the better high priest. Not one who is made of, uh, not one descendant of, of sin. <coughs> But not from the line of Aaron, but the line of Judah. He was a priest in the order of Melchizedek. A new priest. Something very different. It was of another genus. Another species, if you will. And so chapter 7 and in, in the beginning of 8 brings us up. Helping the, the Jews and us to understand that we're not looking to the priesthood. We're not looking to the law to save us. But instead, we had to be saved from that law. That The law that came on the scene was really just telling us that we couldn't make it. That we were sinners. And so when Jesus came, He had to come totally different from anything that the Jews had understood so that they didn't just try to put Him back in and make Him the new high priest or just to add Jesus into the law and the things that they were doing. In verse in chapter eight, I love the very first line. It says, "Now this is the main point of the things we are saying." How often do we get to hear that? What's the main point? And we go on, and it's still a little confusing as we read on. I'm going to just go ahead and read chapter eight. It's not super long. It's thirteen verses. In the New King James is what I'm reading from this morning. Now, this is the main point of the things which we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So we're laying the foundation that Jesus came as a high priest. He came to be a mediator of a new covenant, another covenant, not the same type. We're going to spend this morning talking about the covenant, the old and the new, and what that means to us. Verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, 
then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Now this whole next section, down through verse 11, verse 12, comes out of Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So they were living, stopping there, they were living under the old covenant, the covenant of law. And Jeremiah says, the day is coming when there will be a new covenant. If the old covenant, if the law was able to save them, if it was all that they needed, why would God bring another covenant? Because it wasn't enough. Not according to the covenant that I made in verse 9. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant. I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Chapter 8. We're going to try to sum these things up and understand what's being said here. And understand a little bit deeper what the old covenant was. Why, why, it was obs- why it's becoming obsolete and what Jesus' covenant, the new covenant is. We as people, we are offspring of Adam. Right? Adam, the first man, created man. When Adam was in the Garden of Eden, he was created sinless. And he was the first man. Now, he was given the rules. Not the law, but the rules. And he broke the rules. If Adam would have been able to walk without ever breaking the rules, then we would be okay today. But he couldn't. And he didn't. He fell. And because we were in his loins, because we are descendant of Adam, we, instead of inheriting life, which we would have had he not sinned, we inherit what he inherited. He inherited death. When he sinned, he lost relationship with God and he died spiritually. And we, as his offspring, that is our lot in life, is to be dead. That's what we inherit from Adam. We inherit that sin nature. And as a result of his initial sin, we live in a world where we have to work to gain favor with God. For thousands of years, we had to work to gain favor with God. We had to obey the law. And the law was written to keep us in line. It was a taskmaster over us. It taught us what to do. And it commanded us to do it. We had no hope but to utterly obey the law. And we fell short. And so we had the priest to offer sacrifices for us so that maybe we could make it through the next year. Each year, our only hope was to obey the law and offer sacrifices because of the sin of Adam. Do this, don't do that. Sacrifice this kind of animal when you do this kind of sin. 
And by the way, you can't even offer your own sacrifice. You need a high priest to do it for you. You're lost. Yours was an inheritance of sin and death. Thank you, Adam. That's what we get from him. But Jesus. But Jesus. Jesus came on the scene and changed everything. Romans 5, 18 and 19. Flip over there with me. Romans 5, 18 and 19. Summing that part up. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. We were all lost, deserving of judgment, and Jesus comes on. So in the book of Hebrews, the writer is just bringing up point after point of going, Jesus is the better Melchizedek. There's a better covenant. There's a better hope. All of the things that they knew coming out of the Jewish faith, he's saying Jesus not just makes it better, he erases the law. The law, and at the end of chapter 8 and 13, it says, Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Trying to explain, we don't need the law anymore. Jesus came to fulfill the law. When Jesus lived on earth, he fulfilled the law first. And then he died the perfect sacrifice. He was the one. He was the second Adam, the Bible says. If the first Adam wouldn't have sinned, we wouldn't have needed a second Adam. We would have inherited life through Adam. But because we inherited death, the second Adam, Jesus, comes on the scene and He lived a perfect, sinless life and He fulfilled the law in and through His life. And then at the end of fulfilling the law, He offered Himself as the perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He went into heaven where no other high priest had ever gone. And the Bible says that he makes intercession. And we don't want to get lost that Jesus is up there making sacrifices again for our sins. The sacrifice was one time done. But because the, the tabernacle that was on earth was only a shadow, it was a type of perfection of the tabernacle in heaven. Jesus now is in heaven offering the sacrifice which was offered once for all. So that through that sacrifice we are not just free from sin, we're also free from the law. We're not supposed to fulfill the law for righteousness sake any longer. This morning we want to talk about that, that covenant. In verse 7, chapter 8, says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, no place would have been sought for a second. 
Today we live, we get to live under a new covenant with God. If you call on the name of the Lord. If you're unsaved, if you've never committed your life to God and received his sacrifice for sins, you're still under the first covenant. And there is no hope for you under that covenant. Under the law, there's no hope. And if you're unsaved, you don't get the blessing of the second covenant. But there was a second covenant brought to us in Jesus. And in Jeremiah, he talked about the new covenant coming. And what is covenant? In the Old Testament, the the word is berit, and it it means just a covenant, a pledge, um, an agreement, an accord. Um, Even league, coming in league with one another. And so, in the New Testament, the word actually that is translated, it really means more of of a will or a disposition of property when you give something out. We're living under what Jesus Christ died to give us. A will. His disposition of property with life. We get to live under that because He died. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The testator, unless the testator dies. Jesus Christ died. And so we inherit that which He wanted to give us. And what He wanted to give us was life. Not the law. We see, we see a lot of covenants throughout the Old Testament. The first co- covenant in the Bible was Noah. God made a covenant with Noah. Who remembers what the covenant of Noah with Noah was? It was the rainbow. It says, that I'm going to make this sign of the covenant that I'm going to make with you. I will never again flood the earth. Certain parts have gotten flooded, but the earth, the whole earth has never been flooded. It was a covenant. And like covenants with God, when God makes a covenant with man, when you enter into a covenant with somebody, there's an equality. There's something that you're both able to give and do when you enter into a covenant. But when God enters into covenant with man, we're not as equal. And so he shows us that with God, covenants are made all on his side. All on his side. He fulfills it. He fulfilled it in the rainbow. We can't do anything about it. He made a covenant with us. And now we go to the New Testament and Jesus is the new covenant. We're going to talk about that. Well, what is specifically what's the old covenant? And I thought, well, if we're, if, what is the old covenant? Was it Abraham? Leviticus 20. Go way back to Leviticus. I'm sorry, Exodus. I had Leviticus in my mind. Exodus And actually, let's go to Exodus 24 first. Genesis, or I'm sorry, Exodus 24, 7. All around it. Exodus 24, 7. Then he, Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, actually I should say, and they lied. All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. Well, I don't think they were intentionally lying, but we find that they lied. All that the Lord has said, we will do it and be obedient. What was the book of the covenant? The first five books weren't written. Not yet. They're still being played out. So the book of the covenant that he read starts in Exodus 20 and it goes through 24. 
you want to read that, that's the Old Covenant. Starting with the Ten Commandments. He could have stopped there and we would have been dead. Lost. Hopeless. But he goes on and talks about the law of the altar. Gives us law concerning servants. Law concerning violence. Animal control laws. Property laws. Moral and ceremonial principles. Justice. Talks about the feasts. And that is the Old Covenant. So, church, if if we can just read all this and live by it without breaking any of it, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. You know, a few people every once in a while have to get stoned. Actually, that's happening. Probably more than it should. That's the covenant. That's the covenant. For fun, you should read it. I mean, not that it's fun, but you know, you go and read it and say, "Really? I'm supposed to? I, I, they were supposed to keep these and do these things? We can't. Created to fail, and so Jesus comes and brings a new covenant. Go back to Hebrews." So what is the new covenant? This is the covenant, verse 10. Hebrews 8.10 This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's not talking about heaven. I don't, I don't believe that's talking about heaven. Now, there are some, some believe that, that that covenant is actually going to take place in heaven. I don't believe that's what it's saying at all. I believe that covenant is when Jesus comes, came into the world, and we accepted Him as Lord, and we committed our lives to Him, asked Him to be our sacrifice for sins, then He put... His law in our hearts and in our minds. No longer are we supposed to be ruled by the exterior. The law of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was exterior laws and rules that said, do this, don't do that, and people read them and obeyed them. But the New Covenant is that Jesus said He will put it in our hearts and in our minds. He will bring, by the Spirit, conviction if you're in Christ. The new covenant is from within. The old covenant is from without. We can't be controlled just by living from without, from rules and restrictions. How many of you really drive 55? (laughs) I've been with Pastor Jeff. He does. You know, I mean... We just got to push it a little bit, right? I mean, five over is safe. right? I mean, I'm probably not going to get a ticket. 
at five. And so we're pushing it all the time. We can't be controlled from the exterior. How many of you have ever had that change from the inside that said, I need to drive the speed limit because God wants me to be obedient. There's something inside that comes across, not because you're going to get a ticket, but because you go, am I a good witness? Is this what God would have? There's something that changes, begins to change. Now, now, you know, driving is probably the bad one because that's the one that's harder to change for some of us. But when the Spirit of God begins to live inside of us, we begin to desire to live for Him. We begin to desire to do the righteous things. They're not an exterior. You have to. But the change has happened inside of us. Second Corinthians 3. Keep your finger in Hebrews. Second Corinthians 3. Starting in verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious. Now we got to stop. We gotta, what do you mean it was glorious? Remember that that God gave the, the law to Moses and he gave it to the people and it was glorious. It was so, everything was glorious. Moses' face shone. He was with God. And there was such glory even in the written law, which is a ministry of death. These are hard things to grasp. The law really only truly brought us death, and yet, because it was given by God, it was glorious. How much more is life through Jesus glorious? If the law was glorious that brought death, how much more is life through Jesus glorious? It was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? As followers, as believers in Jesus, the glory gets brighter. It should get brighter in our lives. Skip down to verse 14, 2 Corinthians 3. But their minds were blinded. Until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Outside of Christ, we're blinded. There's still a veil even as Moses wore. There is no glory in it. They can't see it. If you're in this room this morning, you've never trusted Christ. There's a veil and you can't see. You're blind. You can't mentally ascend to the things of God. You can mentally ascend to the law. Because the law was from without telling us what to do. And your mind can ascend and understand the law. But we can't ascend mentally and, and accept Christ. Christ is foolishness. To those that are perishing. If you are sitting in here. Or if you have some friend who's 
just never been able to grasp this Christianity thing, it's because they can't. Because it's the Spirit that gives life. You can't make a mental ascent into the things of God. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies in their heart. Verse 16, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So we, go, we come to the Lord in faith. Not because we understand it. But in faith we see that we aren't perfect. And unless you're perfect, you need a Savior. We're not perfect. We're broken. We're full of sin. And we can't do it on our own. And so by faith, we cry out to Jesus, Be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Be my sacrifice for sins. In 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We got a little ring. But we all with unveiled face, we only have an unveiled face if you're in Christ. You only have an unveiled face if you're in Christ. With an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Because Christ lives in us, He said He would write His law on our hearts. Because His law is in our hearts, we're being transformed more and more into His image from within, not from without. We've got to get it right. We can't transform ourselves from the outside in. It doesn't work. It's not lasting. The transformation comes by the Spirit of God living inside of us, convicting us of our sin, teaching us to obey all righteousness. Jesus didn't come so that we could live like hell. He didn't come and say, you're free from the law, go and do whatever you want, and I love you and I'll forgive you. He says, I'm putting my Spirit inside of you, and that Spirit tells you, what to do. And so your, your conviction, the things that you should and shouldn't do, is should be coming from within. And this is the challenge. As I was reading, I was reading some, uh, some great things, even uh, messages by Spurgeon just challenging. I, I don't think of anyone in particular. I want to make sure you know that in here. I'm not thinking of one person particularly, even in my whole life. But if you or anybody, does not have the inner witness, the Spirit inside of them convicting them of sin. If nothing has changed from the moment they made a profession that they believed in Jesus, if inside there is still no conviction that what they're doing is wrong, then I have to question whether their confession of sin was unto salvation. Now, I don't question it. I don't mean I question it. What I really mean is you need to question it if it's you. They need to question it if it's them. It's not for me to judge. You can't sit idly by and just say, one day I said a prayer and now I'm saved. There's got to be an inner conviction. The spirit of life living within you that says, oh, I used to like that movie. What happened? It just offended me. 
I used to be okay going to the bar and hanging out. And I can't anymore. What? What's, my friends are there. If there's not something inside of us saying, be holy as I am holy, you can't even, even put into words, but there's something inside of you telling you that this is right and this is not pleasing to God, then it's possible that your confession was not unto salvation. Maybe it was a mental confession. You said, I agree with those things and that sounds pretty good to me. But was it fully trusting on Him? Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, It's by grace we're saved through faith, not of works. If, if salvation came and it was all about, I, I'm a Christian, now I'm going to try to do better, then you, you, you had a salvation of works and not of relying on Christ and of faith. This is hard. This is, this is hard stuff. But it's good stuff. Because when the Spirit of God is alive and active in our life, convicting us and drawing us, we are alive. We just read that the, the letter of the law is death. And you know if you've done that. Even as a Christian, we've done that. Even truly being saved, we fall out of grace and live by works. And whenever we do that, it's horrible. Because we can't. We fail and we fall and we, you know, we might as well get out the little whips like some people do in their religion and, and beat ourselves and try to get us into submission. We're not much different. You've done that to yourself. You've said, bad, I'm so bad. And I'll just do better and we can't. But with Christ in us, it's the inner motion. And it can do so much more than we could ever, ever think or do inside of us. I was having a conversation with Randy. We were doing some work this week over at Lucy's house. And I, we, we, had a, we were talking about how water moves in a, in a tank. And, you know, water trucks and fuel t- trucks and things, when they're full, they drive really easy. You get a, like a water tanker truck and it drives down the road. It's it's just heavy, but you drop about half of that water out, and that water, when you go around a corner, will start sloshing, and and it will take that truck and it'll just flip it over. You couldn't flip the truck if you tried, probably, but that weight of the water from within, that will make it go wherever it wants to go. The Spirit of God within us is so much more powerful and greater than without. We can't drive our truck in the places that we want to drive all the time. But the Spirit of God, the living water of God inside of us, when we try to turn, it's going to tell us which way to go. This power. Power in the Spirit. Romans 3. Keep your finger in Hebrews. So far, do you like the Old Covenant or the New Covenant? I'm going to go for the New Covenant. I don't want to fall under the law any longer. Romans 3, 21, 22.
But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. If you're not in Christ, you're not part of the second covenant. If you're not in Christ, you're not part of the second covenant. He goes on to tell us in the, in the verse that most, most of us know in this room, in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. We've all sinned. There is no hope. But in Christ, we're free. Apart from the law. We live in the second covenant. A covenant of grace through faith. Go back to Hebrews with me. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. Now listen, this is this statement here. It's part of the new covenant. I will be their God. He's not talking to everyone. He's only talking to those who enter into that covenant with him. What does that mean? How does God reveal Himself to us? He will be our God. God says He's a friend. When you need a friend, God is the best friend you'd ever need. God said He'd be a father to the fatherless. When you need a father, He is the Father. He is God. He will be your God. He will be your Father. He will be a King who executes righteousness. Righteousness on the earth. He's the judge. He's the judge. On your behalf, he's the judge. Not just, we always think, oh, he's the judge, he's going to judge me. He knows. He knows the truth. When you're in those circumstances and you've been accused, he's the judge and he knows the truth. And you're vindicated in him. When you've done nothing wrong. And when you have done something wrong, He's your forgiveness. He's your righteousness. He's your sacrifice. He's the mediator between God and man. He becomes our priest, our high priest. When life all around you is falling apart, God is your rock. And He doesn't change. He's your rock. I've met so many people who've walked away from what they said being God. But that's not who they walked away from. They walked away from the church and Christianity. They walked away truly from an institution that is fallible. Because God didn't change, but people hurt them. Don't ever walk away from God because of a person. Don't ever be offended at God because somebody who says that they believe in God does something weird. He's our rock. He's our redeemer. He's our healer. When there is nothing else, He's our healer. And listen to this. As He is our God and one of His roles is our healer, 
God can heal you and does. He heals us. We hear wonderful testimonies of His healing power. But as a Christian, as a believer, even if your sickness is unto death, it's not unto death. Because He's our healer. There is no sickness in heaven. God, there's no more back problems in heaven. Amen? I mean, come on. You know, it's over. And the light and momentary troubles that we face in the light of glory, in the light of heaven, will just be like that. Think of the worst day of your life. And you go, I mean, it was a bad day, but it's gone. I don't feel it. It's over. Everything is gone. He's our healer. Whether He heals us here or He heals us there. He's an ever-present help in time of need. He is your God. He's a fortress and a tower. Not just a tower. He's a strong tower. He's where we run to for help. He's all these things. And His covenant says, I will be their God. And they will be my people. Are we His people? His people receive of all of His benefits. Because He left us a will, a covenant, that puts it into place if we call on Him and we trust Him. Verse 11 None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. This is the, this is the passage, I think, that kind of confuses us a little bit and goes, Well, he's got to be talking about heaven, because we don't all know him. I believe he's, just, he's talking about those who are in covenant with him. We won't have to teach each other, because the, the, the conviction is inward. You know, when, when, when you've got a brother who's caught in sin, someone who's, who's really a believer, it doesn't take a whole lot to, to get them to understand that. They already know it. In fact, so I, I, this, this happened more than one occasion. If God reveals something, you just walk up to somebody in Christ, put your hand on their shoulder and says, how are you doing? And they know right away what you're talking about. You don't have to tell them. Because God is in their hearts. And the laws in their hearts and minds. Now, they might be disobeying it, but the witness is already there. You know, if that's, if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to stop running. If that's you this morning, don't hide from God any longer. That conviction you're under, it's just going to tear you apart. Because God is the great hound dog of heaven. He says He hasn't lost anyone. He's not going to lose you. He's going to keep coming because He loves you. He made a covenant with you that He would be your God. If that's you who you know the conviction you're under of something, just give it back to God and say, God, I'm, I just I repent. I'm sorry. If you live there for very long, your heart will get hardened. You, I believe you can harden your heart to where... You, you barely feel the conviction of God anymore. And I, I want to say that doesn't mean you're not saved. That doesn't mean you lost your salvation. But if you live in sin and walking away from God long enough, you'll harden your heart in one area. 
I've seen this countless times, too many, sadly, to where a believer in, in, in most areas of his life is, is walking well and they have this hidden part of sin. And they've hardened up that one part where, where it's not even hardly touchable. And they can be sensitive to the other parts of God, but they're tuning out God's voice in His Spirit. Don't tune it out. Just repent. And if you don't know, if you, if you can't repent, I, I encourage you to pray a prayer like this. God, I don't want to repent. Don't lie to Him. I mean, come on, right? God, I, I repent. Yeah, He knows. He knows. Remember, repentance is change of mind in agreement with God. It's not just lip service. God really knows the difference between lip service and true repentance. And this is what happened to me. I'm telling you this because this is what happened to me in the early 90s in an area of my life. I was caught in sin. And I didn't want to repent of it. But I was in turmoil. And I truly didn't want to repent. So I prayed and I said, God... I don't want to repent, but I want to want to. Change my heart. Change my mind. Because I don't want to quit what I'm doing. And he did. Because deep down I knew I needed a change. But I couldn't have that change until I wanted it. And so he says, God, make me want it. And he changed my heart and he changed my mind. And gave me a hope. Restored me. He wants to be our God. We don't have to tell others because the witness of Christ is in their heart. I believe there's many in the church today. And when I say the church the church, the churches across the world that are sitting every Sunday unsaved, never been touched by God. They come and make a mental ascent every week. I believe there's, there's thousands and thousands people who believe that they're saved because they've had teaching that says, oh no, just say a prayer and you're good to go. But there's been never a change in, inside. They've never had the Spirit of God live inside of them. And so everything they do is all outward. Christianity is frustrating to people like that. They just don't get it. How do you just pray like that? I don't understand it. How do you just love people like that? I don't understand. They don't understand so many things. The problem is they don't understand that they're not saved. <laughs> Truly, you ought to give our hearts, our whole life to God. Forgive me. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. That's the end of our covenant. It's by grace we're saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. The spirit inside of us gives life, but the letter kills. He gave us a covenant of freedom from the law and freedom from death. If we'll trust and receive that sacrifice that He made for us and commit fully unto Him. In the last verse of this section, 
says in that he says a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Is ready to vanish away. Has it vanished away for you? Are you still trying to live out the old covenant? Do better. Don't do this. Do that. Are we in the in Christ that the old covenant vanishes away and the new covenant comes within and guides us, not as a taskmaster from without, but from the conviction and love and grace that God and the Holy Spirit gives us. Adam couldn't do it even before the law was written. He didn't even have that many things to do. And he couldn't do it. The Israelites certainly couldn't. So we need to stop trying. Stop trying to be good. And just be in Him. Rest in Him. That's what He's calling us to be. To be God's people. Not to do God's work. As we're His people and in, in Him. Through faith. By His grace. The living water of the Word is going to slosh around in us. And He's going to direct us and guide us. We're not even going to be able to help it. We're just going to be finding ourselves loving people who are unlovable. You don't have to try so hard. When His law is written in our mind and in our heart, that's the Spirit. Internal conviction. Not having to be told again and again that something's wrong. The First Corinthians 2, let's go there. This time you don't have to keep your finger in Hebrews because we're almost done. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew for had they known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And we go, that's right, we can't even understand it. We understand God, we don't understand the things. But we don't read verse. God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. He does show us what He has. He does show us His glory and His love through His Spirit in our lives. The Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. We also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man does not receive the the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. 
nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. Is that a wonderful promise? Father, this morning, we've heard from your word. God, we thank you for a new covenant. God, we thank you that we receive by faith all the richness and all the riches that are in Christ Jesus. God, your word challenges us this morning. It challenges the world. Are we in a covenant relationship with you? Are we part of this new covenant? God, we want you to be our God. We want to be your... Father, we want to spiritually discern the things you have for us. Lord, I don't want to live under a taskmaster trying to attain to righteousness. Try to live up to some code of ethics or of morals. God, I want your spirit alive in me that teaches all men to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us the things of God. Renew us this morning, God. Father, there are some in here this morning who have calloused over their heart. Though you've written your word in their hearts, they've walked in sin long enough and they've calloused it over. God, I pray that you would soften. Let them hear your voice again. Let them hear and respond to you, God. Father, let the Spirit of God be alive once again in their lives and hearts able to touch every part of us and bring freedom because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God, you know our hearts and you know and you rightly judge, Lord. There may be those in this room this morning who realize they have never truly repented of their sin. They've never received your sacrifice and relied completely on you to be their Savior. Oh, maybe they've done great things and have been a wonderful person and attended church and read their Bible, but God, they're in here going, I've, I've never rested in Christ's sacrifice for my sins. I've never let his sacrifice be enough for me. I've always tried to do more. Father, help them in this moment to with their whole life and heart say forgive me of my pride, my arrogance, my sin. 
I can't do this on my own. Be my Lord, Savior, Master, Redeemer, Healer, Friend, Rock, Tower, Fortress. Be my God, and I will be your people. Let your Spirit come alive in me, that from within I might know you. Thank you for saving us this morning. God, I pray that as we would leave this place, we would go and proclaim the gospel to those who still need it proclaimed to them. Those who haven't heard, those who haven't made that decision to commit fully to you, help us to live the gospel and proclaim it outright with our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I have all the one group leaders stand just before the meeting? You're aware of what he is. Who takes it? Visiting with us this morning.